Welcome to MIR Responds, a new series where MIR's podcasters respond to MIR's writers about their articles. My name is Andrew, and in our debut episode of MIR Responds, I am joined by Matthew Farrell, a writer for McGill International Review. On August 5th, MIR published an article of his where he covered the issue of inordinately large college tuition in the U.S. I brought him on to today's episode to clarify his opinion on how to deal with this issue and to see where we agree and where we might disagree. All right, um, so Matthew Farrell, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on to this podcast. Of course, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and hopefully this will become the sort of thing where um, it's like very casual, very ad hoc. One day a podcaster might just read an article that they have strong feelings about and then just call up the writer and be like, hey, I have a bone to pick with you. Do you want to talk about this over dinner while I shove a microphone in front of your face? And then that'll just be the end of the day. Um, yeah, it sounds like a great idea to kind of bring the yeah. two sides together. Yeah. So um, Matthew Farrell, I would like for you to introduce yourself. Would you mind um, A, talking to everyone about what got you interested in MIR and B, uh, talking about or briefly summarizing the main arguments you make in the article in question. Sure, yeah, so I was interested in MIR because I'm a big uh, politics avid reader myself. And then I have a friend who suggested that because of that, I ought to uh, get into writing. And so I applied over the summer and I'm a summer writer and I intend to hopefully reapply and hopefully get reaccepted over the next term. Um, and my article suggests that uh, the United States, if it's serious about helping uh, the less fortunate access education, should do a little bit more than they currently are. So I suggest that Biden's current plans to um, increase access to free community college um, are useful and should be expanded to further accessing things like state schools that would uh, allow uh, people to access four-year degrees rather than just two-year degrees um, for free. All right. Got it. There was um, there was one excerpt that I found kind of interesting, so I'm just going to quote it here. Quote, if Americans are serious about allowing the least fortunate to access higher education, they need to expand on the subsidized education system. This could include policies such as making community college free, as Biden suggested, for giving student loans, a common progressive talking point, or subsidizing tuition to state schools, end quote. So would you mind um, elaborating on your personal perspective on how effective you think large-scale student loan forgiveness would be in the U.S.? Uh, yeah, so uh, that is the policy of those three that I'm least fond of. Um, and the reason is fairly simple. Um, it's because, uh, well, there's two reasons, chiefly. The first is that it's not a super progressive thing. So um, one thing is just the rich tend to take out more student loans because they're more willing to go to higher education. The one good quote George Bush has ever said is, is there's the soft bigotry of low expectations, which basically conditions students from a lower income background to not reach for certain opportunities, even in the instance that they might be equally qualified. This is the same kind of thing that happens for a lot of women in the workplace, wherein men will try and reach for higher opportunities because they're conditioned to be confident in themselves, whereas women might not want to, kind of the same thing. So the people who have the highest student loans aren't often the poorest people. They're just often those who reach for the highest opportunities and you know have like eight-year med school programs, for example. Um, I do think it's very, very useful for, uh, I, I think it's the 6% of student loans, which are um, 90 days past uh, payback or are already delinquent, because those are obviously persons who are in incredibly, incredibly terrible positions. But largely, I don't think it's super useful because, uh, as I said, it's probably not the poorest accessing them. The second thing is just 
structurally, it's very, very difficult in many instances for someone who is without a credit score or with a very low credit score to access loans of any kind. And so that means that sometimes the, the worst off just literally aren't able to access that system. So those are my reasons. Yeah. What do you think of the argument that uh, large scale student loan forgiveness might end up um, promoting irresponsible behavior with regards to how to handle your finances? Yeah, so I think that that's a, a, certainly a, an argument that requires some sort of um, economic studies, I think, to, to, to question. I would suggest that plausibly that's not a super huge issue, given that if someone is making the decision to go into university, that's probably one of the biggest decisions of their young life. They'll probably find advisors, typically at schools even. They might talk to their parents, etc. They're probably really, really heavily considering that decision. And so I think it's unlikely that they make decisions that are really, really imprudent. Um, but regardless, I think that you shouldn't be held super accountable for imprudent decisions you might make when you're really young. So if you make a bad decision, go to a degree that you might not find super interesting, for example, I don't think that that should be something that dogs you for the rest of your life in, in the way that student loans currently do. Hmm. That's, that's kind of interesting, but you mentioned the whole thing about the wrong degree. To what extent do you think um, choosing the right degree might be a greater determinant in terms of financial stability than the actual college that you decide to go to? So, uh, yeah, uh, I think that that's probably certainly part of it, i.e., I, I, I don't know, I'm a philosophy major myself. And, you know, there's a great stigma surrounding philosophy majors that potentially uh, it's a dead end uh, sort of uh, sort of degree that won't really get me employed, uh, which is probably partially true. Um, and maybe if I'd taken engineering instead, that would have gotten me more employed directly out of college. Um, and so, yeah, cer certainly there is the, the decision between those two things. And that probably does matter more than like if you're choosing between a school like, I don't know, McGill versus U of T. One of them might be slightly better, one of them might be slightly worse, but there's not really much consideration there. I do think there is some difference with regard to quality of education between different schools. So for example, if you go to a very, very small school, for example, there's a bunch in my hometown uh, of Halifax that are very, very small schools and, and just have structurally smaller programs. They're seen as less prestigious by like employers, all that sort of stuff. I do think there's a difference between those. Okay. So there's this one quote from your article that I'm just gonna quote again, uh, quote, as they currently stand, the magnitude of grants has not kept up with the increased cost of college, meaning even students who receive them are often left in flux. Biden has proposed an additional 80, million US, 80 billion US dollars of funding to the Pell system, but this is a stopgap measure because the cost of a college education will likely continue to increase. So your point in that, um, if I'm not mistaken, is basically that even though Pell grants are increasing, the rate at which college tuition is increasing is increasing at a greater rate. Is that what you were meant, to, what you meant to say? Um, not precisely. Uh, what I'm suggesting is that uh, this is a one-time policy, whereas because college tuition continues to increase, what we would need is a kind of like updating policy, which is difficult to get because obviously there's turnover in US Senates and Congress. Okay. Um... The last spotlight in the last spotlight episode, Naomi interviewed Aiden Chan, who brought up an interesting point about highway congestion. And I'm going to try linking that to this in that um, his point was that um, when it comes to traffic congestion, increasing the number of highway lanes doesn't actually end up decreasing traffic congestion. It just leads to an increase in demand of cars that decide to travel in those highways. So I'm thinking um, I might I think I'm actually going to disagree with you when it comes to subsidizing college, because I do think that 
providing significantly more financial aid to colleges, especially higher tier colleges, might just incentivize those colleges to end up charging more money because they know that they have enough brand power and enough name recognition to be able to pull in as many people as they did before. Um, yeah, so that's my take. Do you disagree? Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I think that there are several things that might uh, mitigate that. So the first thing to point out is, if it were the case that high tier universities increased their tuition, that would also increase the tuition for rich patrons who don't want to spend huge amounts of money on their education, right? So currently there's two groups of people, uh, one who don't need financial aid or to, to completely oversimplify things, yeah, one that, who don't yeah, need that. financial aid, one who do. Um, so let's just, let's assume that there's that cross-section. Obviously there's not, obviously it's a nuanced gray area kind of thing. Um, if those um, institutions were to increase their tuition such that, um, governments would subsidize it more so that they would make more money, that would end up also increasing tuition for those who can pay it, who are typically their rich patron donors, and there would probably be some backlash from them. So I don't think that Harvard and Yale would like just suddenly increase their tuition to like $17 billion. Like, obviously, I'm hyperbolizing here for dramatic effect, but they probably wouldn't increase their tuition that much. Uh, and so I think that arguably the benefit to those who are less fortunate who could now even access them, even if the government's paying slightly more money, would still be good. But I agree with you that that would be a significant problem. That's why I think that the best option would be like subsidizing state schools, which would also make them more like prestigious, um, at least in the eyes of people. More people are going to them. Potentially, you can give them more money for things like lab equipment, all that sort of stuff, make them better. And then they'd be more competitive, I think. Uh, subsidizing state schools. Do you think that might end up, um, in fact, it might end up making people be able to afford to go to it? But to what extent do you think that might impact the sort of star power of those colleges sort of how do you think it might end up impacting their level of perceived prestige yeah so i think that um there are obviously there's a great diversity and i'm canadian myself so i, I didn't really think about applying to any u.s state schools but um there's obviously a great diversity in the pre prestige associated with different states and schools so for example like i know the ucs like university of california's are very prestigious universities whereas plausibly some smaller states might have less prestigious universities. So there is al already that kind of discursiveness. Um, but I think that if you were to increase the amount of students going to schools, um, as well as potentially increasing funding across the board coming from governments directly to the universities, such that they could potentially pay more for um, like higher quality profs or rather higher prestige profs, um, that would probably increase the prestige, yeah. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the concept of prestige pricing? No, I'm not. Okay. It's basically the idea. Um, it's partially an idea from economics in that basically increasing the price of a good increases the perception that is extremely prestigious. And I think that's something that is prevalent with many of the top U.S. universities. Like mm -hmm. if you were to go on to world rankings of the best colleges in the world, you would see that a significant portion of them, if not a majority, are from the US. And I think part of, part of that might be the quality of education, but I think part of that is just that the extremely high prices of the education there ends up increasing the perception that they are great and worth going to. Um, so do you think, um, what do you think are the chances that subsidizing education might end up mitigating that effect and to what extent do you think it might end up 
increasing the idea of prestige pricing in this scenario? So I'm actually uncertain how, I'm not sure how it would have an effect. It would probably have some marginal effect either way, but I'm uncertain that it would actually change the dynamics there um, because to some extent, obviously it would increase access, subsidizing education, which would mean more people could access that education which would to some extent even decrease potentially the prestige of state schools because it's seen as something that kind of everyone does. But the very fact that they're getting a lot more money would probably also increase the prestige to some extent. So it's these kind of like mutually contradictory things about that sort of policy. So it seems as though I can't really adjudicate whether or not that would lead to a net positive, net negative outcome for that. But I think that this would plausibly exist independent of like Harvard, Yale, et cetera, because they would still probably have more prestige than most state schools, right? Like, I, I'm not really arguing that, you know, Harvard is suddenly not going to be Harvard anymore. They're still going to have higher name, like bigger name professors, et cetera, uh, and a bigger endowment. So I think plausibly that would still exist independent of the subsidization, but I'm not certain. Okay. Um, what do you think of the, what do you think of the odds that making college education free might end up lowering the quality of the education in those colleges? I think, uh, so there are obviously a ton of things impact quality of education. Like we probably all experience ourselves when it comes to like maybe class sizes decrease the quality of education because it's less one in one time with a TA or a professor. Uh, but usually the quality of education is proportionate to how much a school is making in money. Uh, and what I mean by this is if schools have more students, that is okay because the school then proportionately makes more money from the education and money that they're providing. Uh, so that tends to, I think, probably equalize it in that surely there's more students, but you can also afford bigger classes. Surely there's more um, expenses you have to make maybe by building new residence buildings, but you can also pay for better like um, professors. So I think it probably equalizes. Yes. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me was in, in there was this. Um, so to the audience, there was this New York Times article that we both read. Um, where that was talking about the prestige of colleges and how families can often make irrational decisions by getting their kids to go to colleges that they can't really afford to go just because of the star power and the name recognition of those colleges. So to what extent do you think that we should try to discourage families from taking out loans and trying to go to colleges that they can't afford to go if they can still end up going to a decent school anyway? Yeah, uh, so I think that there are kind of two sides to this coin in that um, the reason obviously for why families want, or maybe not obviously, but part of the reason for why families might want to do this is because they feel as though their children really, really care about this particular school. And so there certainly is some sense that I think, especially in high schools that are really, really prestigious, there needs to be this destigmatization of quality of education. So I went to a, a, a private high school um, and basically no one even thought of not going to university. No one even thought of like community college as an option or trade schools or anything like that. Because as students, everyone was pushed very, very directly into that particular stream of going to a good school, right? And so what then ends up happening is people believe that that's a necessity. And when a kid believes that's a necessity, obviously a parent isn't going to be like, oh my God, no, I, I, I don't want to do this. They're going to try and pull out every measure to try and get their kid to that, that quality education that they perceive as necessary. So I do think that this probably especially relies on high schools uh, as well as um, like tutoring services. I think that's probably where that sort of destigmatization would have to occur, but I think it's incredibly important as you pointed out. 
All right. Um, I guess my last question is just, do you listen to any political podcasts? I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. Sometimes I'll put one in while I'm working out, but the issue is typically when I'm like reading something, I'll listen to music. And so, you know, it's kind of like a difficult to, to do that. I listen to The Economist Radio, listen to a show called The David Pakman Show a lot. Sometimes uh, Freakonomics is quite good. But yeah, I listen to some. All right, Matthew Farrell, thank you for coming on. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you like the episode, make sure to follow us on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye.